Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, August 10th, 2010. You know, sometimes things just are surreal. I find myself shaking my head many a day going, huh? All right, our job here is to compare and always bring people back to the message of the cross. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think uh, critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God, to the Word of God. Yeah, no no shortage of crazy things being said. And unfortunately, those crazy things being said are in Christian churches. It makes you wonder if there is a direct connection between uh, churches who um, are insistent on following after the latest craze and methodologies whose, um, well, uh, doctrinal statements uh, couldn't fill a thimble um, you know, if there's a connection between that and false doctrine, you know, over and again, when you look at the history of, we'll say Protestantism, we'll just talk about the Protestant Reformation and what has happened in Protestantism since the Reformation. One of the things that the emergence like to, to beat up on Protestants about is this idea that apparently the legacy of Protestantism is schism, is all these different factions. However, that's not something that is indicative of Protestantism. That's indicative of folk who are not, um, well, whose consciences and minds are not held captive by the Word of God. I, I see all these splinter factions that are out there as really a result of people who uh, whose minds are not held captive to God's Word. Now, they'll make the claim that, oh, we had to split over biblical reasons. But many times when you look at what's going on, those biblical reasons don't pan out. There's other things. They'll say biblical reasons, and what that equals is is that uh, we've come up with a new and creative way of looking at the Bible that no one has ever looked at before. We've got new revelation. We've got a new, we, a new understanding, if you would. And as a result of it, you know, we've got people who... Uh, yeah, well, you, you get what I'm saying. Where in reality is is that uh, unity is a very, is, as far as I'm concerned, it's not that difficult. Roll up your sleeves, open up the Bible. What does the text see say? What does it teach? What is what is being taught here? I think if we did more of that, 
we would find uh, as Christians, you know, in all of our different denominations that we have more common ground than we think. And the areas in which we disagree, I don't think that these are impasses that are, you know, well, how do they put it in, the, in marriage terms nowadays when people file divorce? We irreconcilable differences. No, I, I think that some of these are reconcilable differences. And uh, the only way to reconcile them is to sit down with an open Bible and to really hammer out where where's this difference coming from? Where, maybe I'm just too hopeful. But uh, anyway, I'm off on a tangent. I'm starting off on a tangent. i kind of in the middle of a conversation that I had with a listener earlier today. <sighs> okay. Today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, uh, when I was opening up talking about the surreal things that are out there, um, if you remember, last week we talked about Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, the, well, was it last week or the week before, uh, the National Enquirer, which is not necessarily known for its um, uh, award-winning journalism, uh, ran a piece, that, uh, an article, that basically claimed that Benny Hinn and Paula White um, were ha- having an affair and that they had traveled together, spent some time alone together in Rome. Well, last week, or the week before, I can't remember, it, all the days kind of blur together. I, I still can't believe we're dealing with Benny Hinn. Anyway, the Benny Hinn thing, uh, Benny Hinn, if, if you remember, we read part of his official statement that went up and then whoosh, just disappeared. It, you know, it, it was there and then it, it went away. Um, and, uh, and now, um, Benny Hinn, uh, on Trinity Broadcasting has, um, released, well, basically, uh, um, did an entire episode of his uh, television program, This Is Your Day, uh, dedicated to dispelling the lies, the, the slander, the, the evil that has been inflicted against him, and I, uh, we're gonna listen to a large portion of this in context, we're not gonna listen to all of it, but, uh, maybe 10, 12 minutes of it. And the reason why is because what he's saying in, in this televised explanation isn't squaring with the original statement that went up and then disappeared. And um, I, I, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just too skeptical. Um, but uh, I, something doesn't, no, things ain't jiving here. I I smell a rat. There's something, something something ain't squaring. And, uh, well, let's just put it this way. I mean, I, I've been frank about the point that, uh, I believe Benny Hinn teaches false doctrine, that he's a heretic, that he's a con man. And I have my own interpretation now of, of what it is that he's anyway. We'll listen to that shortly, and I'd love to get your take on it. I mean, do you think Benny Hinn is telling the truth? Well, after hearing what you're going to hear, I mean, you, you, you chime in and let me know. And uh, and then uh, yesterday we didn't get to uh, a couple of stories that I had hoped to get to, one in particular that I want to get to today. Uh, where is my program? Here it is. Hang on a second here. Um, the, the name of it is Congregations Gone Wild, and I want to read this <clears throat> from the uh, New York Times. Uh, uh, G. Jeffrey MacDonald, uh, who is a minister in the United Church of Christ. Very interesting things he has to say, and no, this is normally somebody that I would disagree with. Uh, but uh, and then and then I've got a bizarre story, kind of one that um, it, it falls into the category of I'm not sure what to do with it. Um, I and um, 
it, it's one of these stories where I'm going, okay, maybe there's something positive here and I'm just not seeing it. But I, I, I detect that the agenda here is uh, being run by the media, not by the church. But this is from the Columbus Dispatch. There's a, uh, apparently, um, in Columbus, Ohio, there is um, a church and a strip club that are counter that are protesting each other and you know, the strippers at the strip club are they show up at outside of the church to protest the church and then the church they show up outside of the strip club and, and uh, are trying to get rid of the strip club and it's a very interesting story one to where I, i'm looking at this going okay there's some positive things and some negative things and i'm, I'm just not sure exactly what to do with it but i want to pass it along and get get your take on it see what you think and then uh, in hour number two today, we have a good sermon review. Oh, man, really good sermon uh, by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. He's going to be uh, doing a sermon based upon 1 Samuel chapter 3, and it has to do with prophecy and visions and things of that nature. And what a excellent sermon this is. Great biblical counterweight to a lot of the goofy things that we've been hearing uh, coming out of uh, churches, uh, even so-called purpose-driven churches uh, nowadays that talk about dreams and visions and if the you know what's that proverb they rip out of context constantly you know where where there you know where there is no vision uh, you know the people cast off restraint and they misinterpret that to basically talk about um you know innovative vision casting pastors well pastor charmley takes that concept on straight up and just biblically decimates it and it's a fantastic sermon points us to christ and him crucified for our sins and you know it's always it is always an honor and a pleasure to uh pass along a good sermon uh to you and uh, even more so when it's uh pastor gervais nicholas edward charmley so uh make yourself comfortable we've got lots of work and ground to cover today so uh with that we're going to dive into the program proper i don't have any benny hinn music although fractured fairy tales may fit him because i you, you think about it is is that uh, patricia king really is the logical outcome of a ministry like benny hens and uh and, and they just take it to the next absurd level well you know i remember when benny hen was first well not exactly first coming on the scene when it was first really being popular and uh, becoming popular and uh and the, when I was working at Focus on the Family, there's a whole bunch of folk that worked in my uh, department in the listener services department there at Focus on the Family, who thought this guy was the cat's meow. I mean, they, and I mean it was awful stuff. I mean, it, uh, I cannot believe that people really have fallen for this guy. He's he's a con man, and uh, it, and anyway, so as you remember, in a previous installment, we talked about the fact that the National Enquirer. Uh, has photographs that they published of Benny Hinn and uh, Paula White holding hands together in Rome. And when uh, when that happened, almost immediately uh, on Benny Hinn's website, Benny Hinn issued a statement basically saying nothing inappropriate has happened whatsoever. And, um, and here's what he said. Let me remind you, this is from his uh, uh, published and then taken down statement on the Internet that said the truth is that we, uh, that's Paula and... Benny Hinn traveled independently to the region, that's be Rome, for respective ministry duties. I was invited by Vatican officials to visit the Vatican to discuss future ministry opportunities there, 
Paula was likewise invited to have meetings in the region, and although we spent some time, we were never alone and were in the constant company of staff and family members. Now, with that in mind, let's listen to uh, Benny Hinn's broadcast from a recent episode of This Is Your Day. Oh, brother, this is your day. All this ego stroking, false gospel stuff. And uh, let's listen to, as, to, now, to his revised and adapted explanation as to what was going on. And I apologize, this is going to take a few minutes to get this all out. And I'll kind of pay attention to how he, um, he doesn't exactly hit the, the topic head on at first. And, uh, and listen to the music in the background. Sappy music plays throughout this entire episode of This Is Your Day. Here, here's Benny Hinn. A few days ago, there was some news reports about me. That I can tell you as a man of God, before God himself, was misleading and false. I stand here with a, a pure conscience and a pure heart to tell you this because I know me. I know my life. My family knows my life. My close friends know my life. You know, people of God, you got to understand something. The devil hates me. And he- Yeah, see, that's the reason why the National Enquirer wrote, published those photographs of him holding Paula White's hand in Rome. It, it's because the devil hates him. Oh, boy. He wants to destroy the work of God. He's tried that before. When the National Enquirer... So, Benny Hinn's a victim of a diabolical scheme here. It was the devil that made him hold those hands. Now, one of the things that's interesting in this entire confession, he doesn't bring up the photographs of him holding hands with Paula White. That, well, that, uh, in his original statement, he talks about the optics he says, "Not that, this was again. This is from the statement that originally went up and then was pulled down. That notwithstanding, I have become increasingly aware that the optics, that would be the photographs of this friendship, have caused others to draw conclusions that are incomplete and unfounded." Now he doesn't talk about those photographs in this um, episode of "This Is Your Day." So, but he, this is Benny Hinn, the victim of a diabolical, that would be satanic scheme to destroy the work of Christ wrote that story it was a pure lie they did not even call me to ask me questions they simply came up with their own story that's wicked it's totally wicked you gotta understand that but here's the sad truth some preachers believed it because some preachers hate me too. Not these. See, some preachers hate him. See, he's just a victim of haters. You know, by the way, I don't hate Benny Hinn. I hate the false doctrine that he preaches. I hate uh, the con show that, that people listen to this guy as if he's really a conduit of the Holy Spirit without even so much as opening their Bible to compare what he's preaching in the name of God to the Word of God. I mean, it's, I, I hate that, but I don't hate him. I mean, I, my prayer is for him that, that he would repent and be forgiven of his false doctrine. 
you know, I, I consider this whole Paula White scandal thing to kind of be the least of our worries when it comes to Benny Hinn. But apparently if there's a, you know, a potential hanky-panky issue with, as it pertains to uh, a pastor, that's going to be the thing that brings him down rather than false doctrine, which I think is just ridiculous. I mean, we could have gotten rid of Benny Hinn 30 years ago if the church had just stuck to their guns and called him what he is, a heretic. These love me. Thank you. My dear friend, Paul and Jen Crouch, are my dear friends. And Jen called me, she said, Benny, don't even think about it. Just keep serving Jesus. Paul said the same. And then the question comes up, is he really, has he ever really been serving Jesus? You just keep serving Jesus. But sadly, you know, I have to, I have to address it because otherwise people believe this stuff. Which is sad. I'm going to tell you the facts. And then you need to pray for me. Be glad you are not me. If I knew before... I mean, notice how he's playing the martyr card. I mean, that's what's going on. Be glad you're not me. Oh, Satan's after me. He wants to take me down. This And, and there's people who believe the stories and they just hate me. Martyr, 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 victim, martyr. Before I started the ministry that I'd be attacked like this, or I said, no, Lord, thank you. Because this is not the first time they do that to me. But I will tell you this. You all know this. And please remain standing because we're going to pray. In February... Notice the music in the background. I mean, remember I, whenever I do a sermon review that engages this stuff, I say, cue sappy music. This sappy music plays through this entire thing. I mean, this is the first... Um, it's, I don't even know what to call this. It's not really a truly a confession of sins, but the the first uh, denial of wrongdoing that I've ever seen a pastor do where the entire thing had its own musical score in the background. I, I What's the purpose of this again? Probably manipulation. My wife filed for divorce, and I was shocked. And people said, well, how, how can you be shocked? Because I would often ask her very openly, because we had challenges as a couple. Look, you know, to be in this kind of work and ministry is very tough on a family. Very tough. Yeah, you, you know how hard it is pulling in $200 million a year and, you know, flying all over the world to uh, put on healing shows. And we had challenges, we had troubles for a long time. And I would ask her often, I'd say, would you, would you ever divorce me? She said, never, because I fear God too much. She said, my covenant is with God, not you. And I guess she could no longer handle it. And one day she did it, to my shock. Uh, notice, um, yeah, I mean, he's done nothing wrong. He's just a victim here. They had challenges. Yes. Uh, but she's, you know. It, it, it's, it's painful to talk about that because you blame yourself as a husband. 
we all blame ourselves for the failures in marriage. My children have gone through tremendous pain as a result. We are still praying that the Lord would bring peace and tranquility and healing. But please understand there's many things I cannot talk about that make it very difficult to even discuss this part. It's a very difficult situation. Very difficult. Very difficult. More than you know. Just trust him. It's difficult. And he can't talk about it, but it's difficult. Just more than you know, it's difficult. Where's the facts again uh, regarding the Paula White thing? You said you were going to tell us the facts. What's this? Uh, that we've lived with quietly. We've had to be very quiet to protect the ministry, the work of the Lord. But sadly, when you are a public person, everything you do becomes public. You can't even have a private life. But you must understand something. I have been living alone for years. You know how painful it is to go home to an empty house? Very difficult. I... Okay. Maybe I'm just naive. Okay. I'm married. I've been married for 22 years. Um... It takes two to tango. Um, if things are icy in the marriage, you're not powerless here. As the head of the relationship, the responsibility for the health of the marriage falls on the guy. Sorry, dudes. You, yeah, yeah, if things are not going so well, uh, d don't blame your wife for it. Take responsibility. Man up. You're the head of the relationship. The buck stops with you. But I mean, I'm I'm supposed to feel sorry for Benny Hinn because you know how you know how difficult it is for him to come home every night and just be alone. It, this is almost, in a sense, blaming his wife. But although later in the apology, we won't actually get to that. He does try to take responsibility for the fact that he 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 may have put his priorities wrong. Um. It, yeah don't care how strong you are I don't care if the anointing of God is mighty on you nobody wants to be alone I don't care who you are I am a human being is it me or does this sound like justification just like you it's very very Difficult to talk about this, but I have to. Otherwise, people make up their own stories. I'm sorry to say, my wife and I could no longer exist in the same house. Painfully, I say that to you. Yes, we are friends, and yes, we talk. Of course, come on, please. We're going to stay friends for life. Because I love her, and she loves me. We, we do love each other. There's many difficulties that exist that we cannot talk about here. Because it's not for the world to know anyways. It's my own personal pain. It's between the Lord and I. Uh, not exactly there. Um, your own personal pain between the Lord and you. Yeah, because keep in mind, when it comes to being a pastor... 
um, that there are certain qualifications regarding the life that the pastor leads, you know, husband of one wife, that you know, that really is referring to the fact that uh, there's no sexual immorality going on there. Um, so, no, as a public teacher, your sexual morals are not exactly just a private matter. Suzanne loves the Lord. She'll be in heaven. She's been a wonderful wife, truly. Please understand, she is still the mother of my children. And I do love her and thank God for her. I'm going to always love her till the day I die. I'm going to love her. That's a fact. But there's things we cannot talk about. But she and I kept a clean life. That's a fact. She and I kept a very pure life before God. We kept our marriage vows. There was nothing immoral ever on her part or my part. And Great. Now, that being the case, there's kind of this thorny issue here. And that is, is that when it comes to divorce, Jesus says, unless, well, you divorced on grounds of adultery, um, if you remarry, you're committing adultery. That's what the Jesus says. That's what Jesus said. And so that comes into play here, Benny. Um, I think the biblical admonition really is for you to reconcile with your wife, unless, of course, there was some hanky-panky going on, but you said there was absolutely nothing immoral. Well, that's great and all, um, but what about that part of Jesus' teaching here that unless the divorce was brought about by sexual immorality, that, uh, well, we, um, well, yeah. I want you to know to this minute, I am clean as, and so is she. A few weeks ago, May the 25th to be exact, Paula White, who is a preacher, came to tape on This Is Your Day. It was actually the 24th of May. Tape for some programs like anybody else that come to tape. Yeah, Paula White, who's a preacher, uh, a pastrix. The Bible forbids such a thing. She's a preacher like anybody else. I've had women on my programs and men. And we've known each other. Her husband and her attended our church for nine years. When nobody knew Paula White... She was one of my church members. So we got to talk. She went through a painful divorce. I went through a painful divorce. We found common ground to talk about stuff we could help each other in. And a friendship did develop. But hear this. No immorality whatsoever. These people out there are making it sound like we had an affair. That's a lie. That's a total lie. Because the second you say affair, you think sex. There's no truth to that whatsoever. None. The Vatican did invite me a few days ago. They made me a patron of the arts. Okay, now this is where it gets a little bit weird. Because um, the story's changing. 
yeah, the story is changing. Let me read again from Benny Hinn's statement released shortly after the uh, National Enquirer. Uh, <clears throat> um, the truth is that we traveled independently to the region for respective ministry duties. I was invited by the by Vatican officials to visit the Vatican to discuss future ministry opportunities. Paula was likewise invited to have meetings in the region, and although we spent time together, we were never alone and were in the constant company of staff and family members. So now he's saying that the Vatican connection is is that the Vatican has made him a patron of the arts. Yeah, what that means is is that out of uh, Benny Hinn's vast fortune... Uh, he has become a uh, a man who financially supports the preservation of important pieces of art from the Renaissance and and uh, other periods that the uh, Roman Catholic Church is uh, has in their possession. You know, Michelangelo, you know, things like that. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Now, if I were sitting on a pile of money, in which I'm not. And because uh, you, you don't make a lot of money preaching Orthodox Christianity. There's a lot of money in heresy, though. Um, so let me see if I have this straight. If I, were, if I were sitting on a pile of money and I decided that I was going to, out of my vast wealth, travel in, I'm, I'm in my private jet. To By the way, I've seen his private jet. It's uh, it's parked right in you know view of, uh, you know, you can see it if you travel to Orange County. It's right there at the John Wayne Airport. I've seen his jet. Um, so if you, if I were to get on my private jet and fly to Rome, and they were to make me uh, uh, a uh, patron of the arts, basically acknowledging the fact that I'm one of their fat cat givers, is that a ministry opportunity? Being a patron of the arts is that a ministry opportunity? Yeah, listen again. In the Vatican two weeks ago, and that's a fact. A patron of the arts means you support the Vatican so they can maintain all the work of Michelangelo. I'm one of the guys now that supports what they do. Yeah, because he's a prosperity preacher and he pulls in the big bucks so that he can do that. And that is a fact. That's where your ministry dollars are going when you support Benny Hinn. You're supporting to help preserve important pieces of artwork in the Vatican. I was there and... We were taken around by a man named Wilhelm Kramer. And they asked me, literally they said, do you know people that can help us financially? Yeah, I mean, because usually people who are wealthy hang out with other people who are wealthy. And, you know, if you're willing to fork over large sums of money to be a patron of their artwork, you might happen to know other people who have a lot of money and uh, be willing to, you know, part with some of it. But all right. Here's what I made my mistake. I let her come with me to Rome. Ah. So Benny Hinn, the mistake that he made is that he let Paula White go with him to Rome. So she can donate money. That was stupid on my part. Yeah, wow, that's quite a sin. So brave of you to, you know, admit that you were stupid on your part to me to just, you know, 
ask Paula White to travel with you to Rome so that she can, you know, like you, selflessly give of her vast fortune to the Vatican. And for that, I do ask forgiveness. What was the sin again? Uh, hang on a second here. Backing up the audio just a bit. He says he's asking for forgiveness. For what exactly? So all right. Here's what I made my mistake. I let her come with me to Rome so she can donate money. That was stupid on my part. And for that, I do ask forgiveness. But that was an innocent mistake. Not so, so he's asking for forgiveness for an innocent mistake. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, the story's changed. He was there for respective ministry duties, uh, you know, and you know, things like that. So was she. Um, now that's turned into, oh, we were there as patrons of the art at the Vatican. We're, they're not going to do ministry with the Vatican, you know, but. Unless, of course, you consider giving money to the Vatican pertaining to the upkeep of their priceless art effects. Um, ministry. Um, and so he's asking for forgiveness for this innocent mistake. Uh-huh. Thing to do with stupid stuff. And then they have a picture of a bed implying sex. That is terrible. They've done that. So I said, you know, I'm not ready for this stuff. So I pulled back and I said, Paula, I'm sorry. We can't even be friends right now. Yeah, translation. I've got a 200 million bucks a year that I'm pulling in, and I don't want that to dry up over a <clears throat> scandal of this nature. I said, the ministry is too important for me. Yeah, my business is way too important to, you know. I'm going to wait. Yeah, I'm going to wait. Yeah, see, I, I, like I said last last time, What's going to happen is as soon as the divorce is finalized and some of this blows over, then he'll announce that they have a relationship. I'm going to wait till God says go. Yeah, don't worry. God talks to Benny and God will say go quicker than you know. But let's continue. And frankly, I got news for you. I don't know what my future holds. Yeah, you're right. But I'm glad that you confessed that you made an innocent mistake and you asked for forgiveness for the innocent mistake. Yet the facts of your story are changing. They're not internally consistent. What am I supposed to make of that? It's in the hands of the Lord. So right now, I'm here to tell all of you, I'm going to focus just on Jesus. Yeah, way to go. You're such a break. Because, you know, Satan is after you. That's all. There is no, listen, there is no friendship at all. There is no relationship. It's over because it's too costly. That's right. You don't want to lose that $200 million a year. At this time in my life, to have friends. How sad. I can't even have friends. I can have guys, but then they may call me something else. Only God knows. Forgive me for being so blunt. Are you getting the message? Yeah. Sad. It's true, though. But whatever his will is, it shall be done. So now I did have an error in judgment. I said that. I'm also human. 
but I'm clean. Totally. God knows it. I know it. My family knows it. And I'm not afraid to tell you all, I am clean before God. In every way. Now, I'm going to go on serving Jesus with all my being. And whatever the future holds, that's his business. You just pray for me that I'll make the right decision. Amen? And please pray for my children. Come here, Tash Tash. And uh, he's going to call some of his children on the stage now. They're not small tykes. These are adult children that he has. Danny, you're about to become my son. Get up here with her. Come here, Lily. We include Jessica in this and my Joshua. And we include Suzanne because we all love her. You know what this kiddo did? She says, Daddy, come here, Daddy, come here, Daddy. So I came. She says, Daddy, put your head on my shoulder. So I put my head on. She What's really interesting is, is that his children, the look on their faces is... The only way I can explain it is, is to say that they look very uncomfortable. Almost like they're not buying this. She said, come on, put your head on my shoulder, Daddy. I put my head. She says, Daddy. Sometimes such wisdom comes out of her. She says, Daddy. She says, when God wants to try you, he puts you back in the fire. She says, like a part of clay has got to go in the fire. She says, Daddy, you're just going through the fire. But when you come out, you'll be a whole lot stronger, Daddy. Yeah, I'm going to just pause, stop right there. Um, if you want to see this, uh, if you want to watch it in its entirety, there's a, a half a video and one more that are part of this three-part series. It's currently posted on YouTube. Don't worry, Benny Hinn's attorney will have it pulled down uh, probably by the end of the day. Um, but uh, go to YouTube, and um, there's a the, the guy who uh, put these online, his handle is nothing but the word. That's all one word squished together, but so it's nothing but the word. And uh, and the name of the video is Benny Hinn. This is your day, a special message from Benny Hinn. And they have one of three, two of three, and three of three. And, um, yeah, I'd love to get your feedback. But um, just wanted to point out, I mean, here. so this is what – in the parlance that, uh, that I keep and use, we call this a dog and pony show. We've seen this happen now twice with just this year. Once with Ed Young Jr. and uh, his uh, his private jet that had to be brought to light by uh, an investigative reporter, and uh, and now this. And um, in both instances, if you listen real carefully, uh, the things just don't add up. It didn't add up with Ed Young at all. In fact, uh, he pretty much confessed that. Uh, what Brett Ship, uh, you know, brought to light there—that it was the case—but he basically engaged in obfuscation and in uh, subterfuge to make it look like it was all the evil Brett Ship. In a similar way, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn's a smoother operator than um, uh, than Ed Young. Way, way. This this guy. I'm absolutely sure that um, you know, based upon you know, the way Benny Hinn handles himself and the way he operates. He probably doesn't even use normal toilet paper. In fact, his his toilet paper is probably made out of silk. 
um, the way he operates. But um, again, we got this problem. We're supposed to believe him, yet the official story is changing. It's morphed somewhat. And when that happens, it makes me go, hmm, I just wonder if there's, um, well, if we're really hearing the whole thing correctly. All right, we're uh, well past the time for our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, uh, you can do so. Um, my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety with all new flavors like prosperity instant abundance it's like adding your bank account to an electrical storm sound the alarm you're gonna be uncomfortably holy what's that you want mana well how about super mana made with lightning real lightning preaching ah. you'll be good at it it's a holy drink for men clergy these aren't your pastor's puns they are righteous puns Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And be like, no! And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You know, so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power praying, power preaching, power praising, power fasting, power meditating, power laughing, power spawning, Chester. You know, so much Chester. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible thirst. The energy that will make you uh, holy. Uh. Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys 
who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture, over the years they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so. And the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR, or call them at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, where there's smoke, there's fire. And um, when you hear false doctrine, that's the smoke. Yeah. Call me old school. Uh, Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Yeah, I gotta admit, it's, it's an enigma to me that the Christian church puts up with guys that are obvious charlatans and showmen like, uh, Benny Hinn. So, yeah, again, the false doctrine needs to be the thing that gets people thrown out on their ear. Uh, I mean, when people twist and mangle God's word, I mean, that's the real bad restraint. That's adultery of a spiritual kind. And in fact, when, when you read through the Old Testament prophets, over and again, um, spiritual idolatry, forsaking the Lord, sound doctrine, his word, the commandments, God God likens it to spiritual prostitution. Okay? 
spiritual whoredom. And read the book of Hosea if you really want to get a vivid picture of this. God tells the prophet Hosea to go and marry a a woman of prostitution, and a prostitute named Gomer. And uh, he does, and he loves her. And uh, she's not faithful to uh, him, shock of shocks, surprise of surprises. But that was kind of the whole point, is that uh, Israel was committing spiritual prostitution by following after and chasing after false gods and in, in, and worshiping via false religion and practices. The same is true of the Christian church. When Christian pastors and ministers, I don't care how popular they are, it doesn't matter what kind of a book deal they have, if they're not preaching sound biblical doctrine, that is the same thing. It is spiritual prostitution. That Basically, they're making money for, um, well, you get what I'm saying. I don't want to take the metaphor too far. But anyway, that's what's going on here, okay? Benny Hinn has been a spiritual prostitute for 30 years. For 30 years. And few pastors have the gumption to call him out and call him what he is. But that's what he is. So now we've got this potential affair, and I think it's news. I really do think it's news. Uh, But if you're paying attention at all to what's going on here, hello? The guy who's been twisting God's words for 30 years and putting on a con artist healing show and making a gazillion dollars doing it? He now has been busted by the National Enquirer and he spins a yarn twisting the truth and changing the truth that he even gave just a couple of weeks ago. Is Does anyone even care? Or is it like, well, we've had him for this amount of time. We might as well let him go ahead and finish his course. What, what damage can he do? But the thing is, is that that's exactly it. Spiritual prostitution really does damage people because there are those, there are some within the, the Christian church who will be enticed away after his false doctrine and continue to be enticed away by his false doctrine? Oh, shipwrecking the faith of some. Anyway, um, looking at my time here, well, let's <clears throat> let's move to one news piece that I didn't get a chance to do yesterday that I wanted to do yesterday. From the New York Times. Do I sound frustrated? <laughs> Congregations Gone Wild by G. Jeffrey MacDonald. Yeah, I just thought that this had some very interesting lucid points. Um, from Swampscott, Massachusetts. What a name, Swampscott. Um, the American clergy is suffering from burnout. Several new studies show, and part of the pro- uh, and part of the problem, as researchers have observed, is that pastors work too much. Many of them need vacations. It's true. But there's a more fundamental problem that no amount of rest and relaxation can help solve. Congregational pressure to forsake one's highest calling. Yeah, did I mention G. Jeffrey McDonald is a minister in the United Church of Christ, which I consider to be a... Well, I mean, they're out there in liberal liberal la-la land. But... um, He's right. Okay, so he says that people are the pastors are suffering from uh, burnout. Okay, new studies are showing the pastors are suffering from burnout. And he's basically going, 
Oh, yeah. So what? The bigger issue is is the is the pressure that pastors are facing to forsake one's highest calling. We continue reading. The pastoral vocation is to help people grow spiritually. Yes, in sound biblical Christian doctrine and to resist uh, resist their lower impulses and adopt higher, more compassionate ways. Spoken like a true liberal, but there's some truth to this. Let me read that sentence again. The pastoral vocation is to help people grow spiritually, resist their lower impulses, sin, and adopt higher, more compassionate ways. A fruit of the Holy Spirit, but why quibble? Let me continue. But churchgoers increasingly want pastors to soothe and entertain them. Yep. I'm glad I'm not the only one noticing this. It's apparent in the theater-style seating, the giant projection screens in churches, and in mission trips that involve more sightseeing than listening to the local people. You know, it's funny. This is not the first pastor that I've heard taking shots at the the, uh, mission trips that people take. I, I wonder if there's a problem there. As a result, pastors are constantly forced to choose as they work through congregants' daily wish lists in their email and voicemail between paths of personal integrity and those portend greater job security. Yeah, so which which you want, do you want to keep your job or are you going to maintain biblical integrity? As religion becomes a consumer experience, it becomes, it already is. As religion becomes a consumer experience, the clergy become more unhappy and unhealthy. The trend toward consumer-driven religion has been gaining momentum for a half, uh, for half a century. Consider that in 1955, only 15% of Americans said they no longer adhered to the faith of their childhood. According to a Gallup poll, by 2008, 44% had switched their religious affiliation at least once or dropped it altogether. The Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life uh, has found the American Americans now sample, dabble, and move on with a religious leader's uh, when a religious leader uh, fails to satisfy for any reason. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the big pressure out there. Who's in the driver's seat? Answer, well, the culture is now. The consumers are. In this transformation, clergy have seen their job descriptions rewritten. They're no longer expected to offer moral counsel in pastoral care sessions or to deliver sermons that make the comfortable uneasy. Uh huh. Church leaders who continue such ministerial traditions end up paying dearly. A few years ago, thousands of parishioners quit Woodland Hills Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and Community Church of Joy in Glendale, Arizona, when their respective preachers refused to bless the congregation's preferred political agendas and consumerist lifestyles. I have faced similar pressures myself. In the early 2000s, the advisory committee of my small congregation in Massachusetts told me to keep my sermons to 10 minutes tell funny stories, and leave people feeling great about themselves. Wow. The unspoken message in such instructions is clear. Give us the comforting, amusing fare we want, or we'll get our spiritual leadership from someone else. Congregations that make such demands seem not to realize that most clergy don't sign up to be soothsayers 
or to be entertainers. <laughs> Don't worry, there's a whole group of guys that have just signed up to do that. Uh, pastors believe they, they're called to shape lives for better, and that involves helping people learn to do what's right in life, even when what's right is also difficult. It's a little more than that, Pastor, but I'll grant you the argument on one level. When they're being true to their calling, pastors urge Christians to do the hard work of reconciliation with one another before receiving communion. They lead people to share in the suffering of others, including people they would rather ignore by experiencing tough circumstances, say in a shelter, a prison, or a nursing home, and seeking relief together with those in need. At their courageous best, clergy lead where people aren't asking to go because that's how the range of issues that concern them expands and how a holy community gets formed. I'll leave out the fact that this is obviously missing law and gospel, sin and grace, uh, the forgiveness of sins and things like that. On one level, he's right. Ministry is a profession in which the greatest rewards include meaningfulness and integrity. When those fade under pressure from church growers, uh, goers who don't want to be challenged or edified, pastors become candidates for stress and depression. Clergy need parishioners who understand that the church exists as it always have to save souls by elevating people's values and desires. No, actually, the church doesn't save souls by elevating values. The church saves souls by preaching the condemning words of God's law and the comforting words of the gospel, which, by the way, people don't want. You're not going to take some kind of a consumer survey and people go, yeah, I'd really like to hear more about my sin and the dead Jewish guy who hung on the cross. That's just not going to happen. Anyway, they they need uh, churchgoers to ask for personal challenges in areas like daily devotions and outreach ministries. When such an ethic takes root... As it has in generations past, then pastors will cease to feel like the spiritual equivalents of concierges, and they'll gain, again, a no joy in ministry among people who share their sense of purpose. They might even be on fire again for their calling rather than on a path to premature burnout. Now, this is an interesting thing. I just, I'm going to make a couple of notes here. Uh, there's, uh, there's much that G. Jeffrey McDonald says here that is absolutely true. And much of what we're seeing, the false teaching, the false doctrine that we're hearing uh, when we review these sermons, part of it has to do with the pastors who've abandoned God's word. But sometimes, and I think speaking, you know, hear, hearing uh, McDonald's uh, story here, uh, it sounds like a lot of that pressure is coming from the congregation. We're sick and tired of hearing the Bible, God's law, hellfire, brimstone, and Christ and him crucified for our sins. We want something funny, entertaining, and when we leave, to feel good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, the funny thing is, is that uh, the Apostle Paul told us about this. This was prophesied. This was prophesied via the Holy Spirit through the writing of the Apostle Paul. Let me read 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, 
they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Yeah, the idea that church is about making you feel good about yourself and entertaining you, that's a myth. Christian pastors are called to proclaim law and gospel, sin and grace, God's wrath and the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. Sound doctrine, what the Bible teaches, what the church has confessed, not to give in to the culture. And so when we hear these seeker-driven sermons and we review them constantly here, I think part of the problem is these pastors have abandoned God's word. But as McDonald's uh, op-ed piece in the New York Times points out, New York Times points out, the pressure to abandon God's word many times comes from within the congregation. That being said, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, we're going to be listening to a good sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. This is a man who will preach the truth and God's word, and I don't detect any any temptation in Pastor Charmley to itch, scratching ears. We'll be right back. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We've got a good sermon review from across the pond. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley He's becoming a regular here, and I thank God for his sane, scholarly, Christ-centered exegesis of the scriptures. I tell you, Pastor Charmley is worth his weight in gold. Let's cue up the sermon review music. And the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. It is my pleasure today to uh, give you a sermon from across the pond by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley entitled The Prophet of God. If you have your Bibles, you will need them. Open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Number 1. Notice how he sticks to the text, how the text governs, how he wants to read out what God has there for us to know and to hear. This isn't some cherry picking a bunch of verses out of context. This is reading and teaching and expositing God's Word. And you'll also notice as we listen to the sermon that Pastor Charmley is going to do a good job of um, dealing with this whole vision thing. 
yeah, I'm not going to say any more on that except for listen to what he does with this idea of vision. You can compare this to what we've been hearing from seeker-driven and prophecy-driven heretics. That's what they are. Let me kill the music. So without any further ado, here is Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley from Bethel Evangelical Free Church in uh, there in the U.K., and uh, here, here he is. Our scripture reading is taken from the first book of Samuel and chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. You previously read in 1 Samuel of how Samuel was given as an answer to prayer in the previous chapter. We have read of the degenerate state of worship in that time and of God's intention to judge the priests of that era. 1 Samuel and chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place. And when his eyes had begun to grow dim so he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out from the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me, he answered. He answered, I did not call my son, yet lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord revealed, yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, so he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever, for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me, of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. 
And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And we trust God's blessing to rest on the reading of his precious and inerrant word. Okay, notice uh, this sermon we're four minutes into it, and it has been nothing but Scripture. And also notice something that is so um, tragically missing from so many of today's churches, and that is a deep honor and respect and reverence for God's Word treating it as if it, it truly is an oracle from God. Yeah, it's good stuff. We read from the chapter that we, we read, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. We have two great needs before God. First of all, we must have a priest to stand between our sinful selves and the glorious, all-holy God. And that is what chapter 2 of 1 Samuel deals with in particular, the need for a priest to stand in the gap, a mediator between man and God. And secondly, we need a prophet. When was the last time you heard a sermon talking about our need for a priest, our need for a mediator? Now, this need finds its fulfillment in Christ. He is our mediator. There's plenty of scripture that tackles this topic. But man, where has this been? Uh, this is this is a teaching that apparently is lost. And the reason why I think this one is lost and gone is because in discussing our need for a mediator to stand in the gap, that deals then with the question of our sinfulness and our need for a savior and our need for a priest and our real problem that we are by nature sinners and rebels against God in need of Christ's forgiveness, and in need of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So, listening to Pastor Charmley here, no pun intended, for many people listening, this is going to sound foreign. Not because Pastor Charmley is from Great Britain and he speaks with a thick, heavy British accent. It's going to sound foreign because the ideas are ideas that, well, they're biblical, but they haven't been preached a lot lately, if at all. They've collected dust, like, what is this old artifact? What do we do with it kind of thing? That's why it sounds foreign. But listen, continue listening. The priest represents us to God. The prophet speaks to us from God. We must have a priest and we must have a prophet. 
These two are absolutely vital. Without a priest we cannot come to God. Without a prophet we do not know what God desires of us. And this book of 1 Samuel, as well as showing the beginning of kingship in Israel, as well as speaking of the future priest, begins the line of the prophets. Before Samuel, there were indeed prophets who were raised up. But from Samuel, there is a line of prophets who continue a line of men anointed to speak for God. What the word prophet actually means is disputed. The Hebrew word Navi is a word that we know it means a prophet, but we do not know where it comes from, what its derivation is. It probably means, and that's the best we can say is probably, it probably means one who is called one who is appointed by God and we have here in our chapter an account of the calling of the prophet Samuel how Samuel was called to be a prophet of God and in this account we have first of all the call itself secondly we have communion with God and thirdly we have communication from God so we have call, communion and communication these three things and it begins with an account of the situation in Israel at the time the word of the Lord was rare in those days there was no widespread revelation or if you have the authorised version it will say there was no open vision the word here literally does come from the Hebrew word meaning to see there was no open vision no revelation and so we see at the time of the call first of all there was a famine of the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. And when the word of the Lord is rare, that is a judgment. It was a judgment on God's people that they did not often hear his voice. Oh yes, there were here and there people like the man of God in the previous chapter, who were raised up by God with a message. But it was rare that this happened. It is a great judgment when the word of the Lord is rare. Now we have, in this country today, probably millions of Bibles. But how many of them are read? How many have been given as gifts and never read? How many are sitting on shelves unread? We have a paradoxical situation in that there has never been a time in history when the Bible has been more accessible in the world there's never been more accessible in this country you can go into any bookshop and you will be able to find a Bible 
We have two dedicated Christian bookshops in this town in addition to the church bookshop. And we have many, many Bibles. People coming looking for all kinds of Bibles. But how many of them are read? Indeed, we might go even further. How many churches are there where the Bible is not read? Right. I mean, even you know, when we listen to seeker-driven sermons and we do bad sermon reviews here, I mean, think about the tragedy here. People are walking into church. The expectation is is that there's, they're going to be taught something. They're going to hear from God. And yet, the Bible is twisted, mangled, and, or makes a cameo appearance. There's no sound biblical doctrine, and they really, truly learn nothing. Nothing from God. And here Pastor Charmley is pointing out the fact that at the time that this text, uh, you know, the time for which this text was recorded in First uh, Samuel chapter 3, that there, that was a uh, judgment from God. Famine of his word, if you would. So here we've got this paradoxical situation going on in our times. We are awash in Bibles. Bibles, Bibles everywhere, and people are literally spiritually starving to death. Go figure. I mean, that would be like, for, to give you a metaphor, this would be like going to, you know, locking yourself into a grocery store. Food everywhere. And you dying of starvation. Literally slowly starving to death. That's what we're talking about. Where the Bible is not preached. I was listening yesterday evening to an American Christian program. And there was a mention of a church, so-called. Well, it used to be so-called, in fact. That has taken down the cross from its building and change its name to eliminate the words Christ and Church. And they now call themselves an inclusive community. Where no doubt somebody, where somebody gives a, a, some sort of strange religious talk. This used to be a church. Now how many so-called churches are there where the Bible is not taught? Even evangelical churches. You can go to certain evangelical churches and find that you will have more said about the latest movies on television than you will ever have about the Bible. We have a famine of the world. When God withholds his word, and God's word is undervalued, that is the great problem today. It's not that we don't have access to the Bible, it's that people don't value the Bible. When that is the case, it is a terrible judgment. But secondly, there was no widespread revelation, no open vision. The book of Proverbs speaks of this situation. Proverbs 29 and verse 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. And that word revelation, there's the same word, it is literally vision. Okay, now notice, this is, this is the verse 
that all these uh, seeker-driven and prophecy-driven folks go to, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. It's, but apparently, we need um, we need vision casting leadership and pastors and stuff like that. Well, let's uh, see what Pastor Charlie does with this. And what this singularly does not mean, and this is the reason why the translators have used the word revelation in the New King James, it singularly does not mean what is meant in secular circles today by a vision. It does not mean the business idea of a man who is far-sighted. Oh, that young man, he has vision, he will go a long way in business. That is not what is meant here. And I mention that because there are many, many people today in churches who think that's what it does mean. They say, well, there's no vision, the people cast off all restraint, or the people perish. Oh, that means we need a far-sighted man in the pulpit. No, it means we need God in the pulpit. We need God's word. We need God to reveal himself. Where there is no revelation. Where there is no word from God, people make up their own ideas about God. If God has not revealed himself, then men will go astray after all sorts of strange ideas. And that is what you see in modern day religious liberalism. It's all about man's idea, oh I think of God, how you think of God is completely beside the point. It does not matter what you think about God. <laughs> right on. Yes, yes, this is prophetic preaching. Doesn't matter what you think about God. That's completely beside the point. Love the way he said it too. It's meaningless. Because you don't know what man thinks about God out of his own imagination means nothing and it leads to all kinds of silliness to people casting off all restraint and you can see this if you look at the liberal, the mixed denominations, the URC, the Methodists, the Anglicans, the Baptist Union you look at them and you see what is going on within them and all the strange ideas that come out of here and there, this bishop, that bishop, this minister, that minister. And they contradict one another. Because men cast off all of restraint, and they, they say, in fact, well, whatever you think is right. Because you have no word from God. But... When God speaks, then we know what he is like, what he has said. And when the Lord Jesus came into the world, there had been centuries in Israel without a prophet. Centuries of silence. And then God came down. And God spoke to Samuel. And you notice that Samuel did not realize, first of all, what was happening. He knew there was a voice, and he assumed that it was, was Eli calling to him. As a dutiful servant, he ran to answer his master, only to find 
Three times Eli had not called him. Samuel did not recognize what was going on. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. This does not mean Samuel was an unbeliever, but it means he had no direct experience. He did not know what it was like to hear the voice of God. Because he had not yet become a prophet, he had not yet been made a prophet. And you notice this, the prophet is not a man who says, I think I shall become a prophet. Nobody ever got up in the morning and said, I want God to make me a prophet. And had that prayer answered. Now there were false prophets, there were men who spoke in the name of God, when God had not sent them. But the true prophet was always called of God. Unexpectedly. And called from his work to speak for God. A prophet needs a call. The prophet is somebody who is raised up by God. And the ultimate prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal God to us. And he was called by the Father. Now of course Jesus' call is different from the call of Samuel because it is the call of one who was from all eternity God and who dwelt with the Father in light unapproachable. But nevertheless he did not go without a commission. But he said rather I delight to do your will O God and he came and he spoke as the Father gave him utterance. And then we come to communion. The prophets were those to whom God spoke. And those to whom God spoke directly in various ways. The writer of the book of Hebrews expresses this. How God spoke to the prophets. And he says, God, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, who at various times and in various ways spoke in types past to the fathers by the prophets. They were various ways. But he has, in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. The prophets had God's word revealed in various ways and they themselves communicated it in various ways. There were prophets who had visions, who had images displayed before them, very often these are incredibly figurative visions with emblems representing this and that that need to be interpreted. There were some who had visions, there were some prophets who had dreams that were given by God. And again, these dreams could be very vivid and very pictorial. There were those who heard a direct voice speaking to them. There were those prophets who wrote historical books and who were given the gift of interpreting history, who interpreted what God had said. And what God had done in history, they recorded what had happened, and they said, this is the cause of it. 
The prophets spoke in various ways. At various times there were some prophets who were commanded to carry out prophetic actions. To do various things. Some of them very strange things. The prophet Jeremiah was commanded to go about with a yoke on his neck. The prophet Ezekiel was commanded to perform many prophetic actions. Actions that spoke of God's work. But the prophets were those to whom God had spoken. They were not those who had an idea. 2 Peter verse 1 Chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation and what that means is not that the Roman Catholics would like you to think it means that it cannot be interpreted privately but it comes from private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The interpretation came from God. The very words came from God. It is not that they had some thought from God and then had to interpret it themselves, or that they had a vision and had to interpret it themselves, but that God spoke to them and gave the words that were to be written down, the words that were to be said. They knew precisely what to say with that word, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. God has spoken, and God has spoken to us finally in Jesus Christ. He who in time past spoke by the prophets has spoken to us in these last days by his Son. And that is as much to say that we are not to expect prophets to be raised up, but we are to accept what is said in Jesus that he is the final revelation of the Father and the work of the New Testament the New Testament writers was to record what he said and did and the meaning of his message to work out what, what God is doing and saying in Christ Jesus and he came with a message God spoke to Samuel with a message to take to Eli in that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. It was a hard message of judgment. A hard message. And made even harder by the fact that God sends his prophets to sinners to speak and part of the prophet's message is this it is the message of judgment it is the message that God is not a tolerant father who really cares too much to do anything and that God is not a, it's not that God is an indulgent grandfather figure but that God is the all holy judge of the earth and you see mankind thinks God will somehow forgive us. You were to go out 
into the streets of Hamley, you'll probably find the majority of people believe in God in some way, shape or form. They believe there is a God in some way, shape or form. And if you ask them, well, what about when you die? What does this have to do with death? They would say, oh, I believe that God will forgive me. Because you say, I've done more good than bad in this sort of thing. But the message of the prophets is, no, God is not like that. But God will judge, and he will judge sin, and he will punish sin with the punishment that it deserves. And he's made all the harder by the impenitent heart of man. But the prophetic word does not, on the whole, go to people who are ready to repent, but to people who don't want to repent. One of the most difficult things in our present age is the disappearance of sin from our vocabulary. The concept of sin has disappeared. Some years ago, a leading psychiatrist wrote a book on the disappearance of sin. And he said, the one thing that we do not say in psychiatry is that is wrong. Psychiatry encourages the idea that we are all victims. It's not your fault, it's your circumstances, it's your environment, it's other people. But I, says psychiatry, I, says the modern world, I am a victim. It's not my fault at all, I'm a victim. And you see, this is pure narcissism. This is putting man at the very centre of everything. I want to just make a quick note, although I, I hate interrupting Pastor Charmley. When we listen to seeker-driven churches and their sermons, sin is mysteriously missing in the way they present the problem. It's always that these people are victims of circumstance. You know, they've been abused. They, they, they've suffered. But we, I constantly point out the fact that uh, these folks, uh, you know, they're not preaching that we're the perps. They're, we're the ones who have offended a, a holy and just God. And what did Pastor Charmley liken this to? Psychiatry or psychology. And the fact that they don't talk about things being wrong anymore. And what did he call it? Narcissism. I think he's right. I think he's spot on here. Culture encourages everyone to put themselves in the center. This is your story. This is... Life is a movie about you. That is our modern culture. But the Bible says, no, life is not your story at all. Your life is part of God's story. The universe is God's story. The Bible is God's story. It is not our story. But the modern world says God comes into your story. Other people come into your story. And your story is central. And so we produce narcissism, we produce self-centered people, not God-centered people. And if it's all about me, it's all about me, then I am the victim, I am the hero, you see, if it's all about me. And so I cannot possibly be wrong. But of course the most tragic thing is, you are not. The sinner is not the hero, the sinner is the villain. He is the one who has done wrong. God is the hero. 
Jesus is the hero in the scriptures. We read about the heroic men of the Bible. We are not to project this onto ourselves, but we are to think of how this leads us to Jesus and what he has done. Later on in 1 Samuel, we have the account of David and Goliath. And the message of that is not, you too can be like David, it is Christ. Great David's greater son has delivered us from a far greater slavery than any slavery to the Philistines. He has delivered us from the slavery of sin. It is a message, a message of repentance that comes to self-centered sinners and says, look outside of yourself. Do not look within, but look outside. We do not preach the Christ within, we preach the Christ on Calvary, outside the walls. Oh, that is so good. Wow. We don't preach the Christ within, we preach the Christ on Calvary. Brilliant. Just brilliant. Uh, wow. Amen. Uh. Salvation is about something that happened outside myself. Outside of mankind. Outside of the individual. Outside of the individual subconscious or conscious mind, it is what God has done in Christ Jesus outside of you. And Jesus has not just come with a message of judgment. His message was this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He comes and he says, yes, there is judgment coming. Yes, there is a day coming when God will judge the world, but now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of grace. Now is the day when whoever will may come unto me. Now is the day that he offers and says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now is a day of grace. So we have communion, the prophets, communion with God, the prophets receiving a message from God. And then we have communication. The prophet speaks God's words. Once more, he does not speak his own words. God touches his mouth, as he did with Jeremiah, and puts words in his mouth to speak. The prophet speaks God's own words. And we see Samuel. Samuel, verse 15, lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Wouldn't you be? God had told him, Eli is going to be judged. And this, this boy was terrified, no doubt. He was afraid of how Eli would react. He get, and yet he spoke it. In fact, Eli asked him, tell me the vision. 
And he asked with this fearful oath, God, do so to you and more also you hide anything from me of all the things he told to you. And the oath meant, may God kill you horribly if you do not tell me. It's a standard form of oath in ancient Israel. And God has spoken terrible things. And yet Eli's response finally was, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. The 19th century commentator William Garden Blakey says that Eli possessed the passive virtues. That is, Eli, Eli's great problem was that he couldn't be active against his sons. Passively, he was fine accepting God's word. He was fine accepting the judgment of God. But he could not move against his sons and remove them from the position and do what God had so commanded there. He would not act on God's word, but he would accept it. He accepted the message of judgment. Is it not paradoxical then? The mankind will not accept the message of forgiveness in Christ. We are not, as Christians, to come to people simply with judgment, simply with the law, simply declare you have sinned against God and you will be damned. That is not the Christian message. The Christian message is you have sinned against God. If you continue in your way, you will be damned. But God, in his great love, has sent his Son to bear your penalty in your place, so that you may not be damned. It is that there is forgiveness with God, not that there is judgment with God. Amen. This, and see, this is the message that distinguishes biblical preachers from people like Westboro Baptist. It's not turn or burn, or you're going to burn, burn, burn. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's both. It's this tension between God's wrath and his mercy and forgiveness because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, the scripture says. Ah, this is so good. The great 19th century Anglican commentator, Brookfoss Westcott, Bishop of Durham, says in one of his books, if we are honest with ourselves, the wonder is not, the great marvel is not, the wrath of God. It is the forgiveness of God. It is the love of God that is the great mystery. If we are honest with ourselves, if we are honest and we recall all that we have done, the mystery is not that God would condemn us. It is that God would set forth his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. It is that God would set forth a pardon for sinners. We can understand if we are honest with ourselves. You see, the whole problem is men are not honest with themselves. But men insist upon comparing themselves to one another. We are not to compare ourselves to one another. For we can always find a man who is more wretched and more wicked than we are. We are to compare ourselves to God in Christ. To compare ourselves to God's ten words on Mount Sinai. 
Are you good enough for them? Are you good enough for them? No, you are not. And yet there is pardon with God. The wonder of pardon. This is a faithful saying, says Paul, and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And then Samuel's prophetic ministry continued. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. His prophetic ministry continued. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. And you see, we need prophecy. We need the word of God. We must have God speaking to us. Because otherwise, we can know very little about him. Paul tells us that the creation reveals his eternal power and his deity. That is to say that he is almighty God. But it cannot tell us much more. He has spoken. And by speaking he upsets every false view of God. If God speaks then all the false views must tumble to the ground. Because God has spoken. And Christ is the prophet we need. You see Samuel spoke the truth. But Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from all false ideas. When the Da Vinci Code film came out, the day after it was released, I was preaching in a church in London on that very text, which had been chosen for me by the church leadership. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And here were the people flocking to the cinemas, watching this film that was making such a promise. This film will show you the truth. And yet the film contains nothing but old, tired, worn out nonsense. And falsehood. And lies. But Jesus Christ is the truth. And if you know him, he will set you free. And so we see then in our chapter the vital need of prophecy. But there is no prophecy. Men run wild in religious speculation and wickedness. We need the very voice of God. We need to hear him speak. He speaks, says Mr. Wesley, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. And God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ, spoken to us once for all, forever. And so we have the question that comes before us. The question posed by Mr. Vernon Iam in his hymn. Have you heard the voice of Jesus? Have you heard the voice of mercy? Granting peace and pardon pure. Have you felt the balm of cleansing? Binding all your wounds secure. Have you heard him speak? Do you know the voice of the Lord in Christ? He is speaking now. And he says, come unto me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he will give you rest from yourself, 
in him. And he will set your upset world, your self-centered world, right by placing himself upon the throne. And you will find that is his place and his alone. You cannot have Jesus in your life. Only you must have him on the throne. He is Lord. Unless he is Lord of all, as has been said, he is not Lord at all. Or may we hear his voice. Hear his voice and fall down and worship him who is the great prophet of our God. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, man, man. Thank you, Lord, for faithful ministers like Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, who preached law and gospel, Christ and him crucified for our sins, and sound biblical doctrine, and reverently handle God's word and points us back to Christ. Oh, boy. Man, oh, man, that was brilliant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hold up Pastor Charmley as an example of the type of pastors that the church needs today. We don't need the vision-casting, innovative, contextualizing, hipster pastors who... Uh, are supposedly finding a way of contextualizing the gospel and speaking the the uh, the internal truths of scripture to a postmodern gener. We don't need any of that. Yeah, that's a subterfuge. What the church needs, our greatest treasures, are men who do what Pastor Charmley, which you just heard Pastor Charmley do. Open God's word. Faithfully exposit the text. Point you to Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Memorable quotes. <laughs> Christianity doesn't preach the Christ within, but the Christ on Calvary. Another memorable quote. It doesn't surprise us. This is my paraphrase. It shouldn't surprise us. God's wrath doesn't surprise us. It's the mercy and forgiveness of sins. It's so surprising. Amen. Amen. Folks, if you don't have a pastor like Pastor Charmley, may I strongly suggest that you hunt and find a pastor like Pastor Charmley. If you're tired of the self-help shallow pablum that's being passed off at your church as in-depth biblical Christianity when it's so obvious that it's a dry kiddie pool that you're dealing with here with just a few drops of water running around in the bottom of it, then find in your area Pastor Charmley. These are the men who have the small churches because this message will never really draw a big crowd. It's rare that it does. These are your humble pastors. These are the ones who, you know, are spending their time preparing their sermons by digging into God's Word, the original languages, cross-referencing, and carefully checking to make sure that they are not mishandling God's Word. 
They're not cavalier. No, they're careful and they're faithful and they're humble. It's time for the Christian church, for Christians to repent and to humble themselves and say that we were wrong. That all of these methods, these newfangled ideas, they're not faithful to God's word and that it's been a horrible, horrible mistake on our part. We have abandoned sound biblical preaching, exchanged the truth of God for fame, fortune, friendship with the world. And as a result of it, in many quarters, we've lost the gospel. We've lost God's word. And we justly deserve the punishment that God has given us in sending a famine of his word, even though we are awash in Bibles. Confess your sin, be forgiven, and then bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Find a church where you will hear the word of God. No nonsense, no gimmicks. A man who's not interested in being your friend, but instead wants to be a faithful shepherd of the under-shepherd, Jesus Christ. Something to consider. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to partner with us with, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.